With traffic, errands, and parking, cars can be a chore. But a great car can be an adventure, a getaway, and a prized possession. Whatever your budget or family require, there's a car out there you'll love. We're here to help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. So the Lancer has a new home. Hey, I'm glad to the hear. The Lancer is gone. I'm glad to hear. It got on a transport truck on Saturday night, and we are recording on Monday. It is already at its new home in Minnesota. I can't believe that. That was fast. It was very fast. I, th- I, I don't know what happened. Apparently, that guy, I saw the transport. I hung out with the guy for a minute. Apparently, that was the last car going on the transport, and then he was headed east. So he left town so, immediately. Uh, he, then, must right after. Okay. he must well, have. Well, that explains it. But still, that's, Rolling out that's, and he was focused on driving out. So amazing. It's already to a new uh, new home, Ron. Actually, a friend of the show, Nate, who does our cycle report. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He knows this guy named Ron, who you may have seen recently on a profile on Gears and Gasoline about a guy who focuses on Evos and Lancers. Nice, Okay. Nice. So Ron now has it, and uh, apparently... So the car could be resurrected and I think it's going to be resurrected quickly. ...running, yeah. and we'll he, see it he again. He apparently has parts cars, plural. Oh, my gosh. And experience with them, and so it will get resurrected in a fashion, let's be honest, uh, probably better and faster than I ever would have done it had I spent my own money. So I took a bit of a hit on it, but it's out to a good new home, and uh, a little sad, but uh, I have video of the transport truck when it was sitting there getting ready to get loaded on. I'm going to post that video in the next day or so. Oh, good. So it has gone. Well, I'm glad it's going to a new home. Totally. That, that good somebody's yes. going to get it back on the road and it's not just going to get stripped and dismantled and, well, and, it, you know, taken and I out. also got enough money out I of like it that, that it's not what people were telling me about scrapping. It was like, well, we'll give you a few hundred for the scrap. Give me a break. It wasn't that I'm kind of I'm glad for that. So, uh, yeah. So Excellent. anyway, I, and I, I will say, as, as much as I would love, because it's me and we all have the car disease, and thanks <laughs> for joining us again <laughs> on the podcast, as much as I would have loved to have built it into an Evo-engined monster, this was by far the path of a least resistance and b least uh, financial uh, downfall for me. Yeah, for sure. So that's why I did for it. Sure. Because we have a few other things going on. You may have seen some of the stuff two. going on. We uh, we have done a lot of YouTube stuff as late, including that uh, BMW X5 M piece where we drove quite quick. Yeah. Well, welcome to Tuesday, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. You guys have amazed me with questions as you always do so thank you for that we've got a lot of great questions and there's uh yeah some ones that i've been really thinking about i'm really excited to share so we've also got a cool topic tuesday from addy p asking what is the most influential car to date and I have your answer, but I want to get you have there. an answer? Because I, I have multiple an answer. answers. You I do. An I, answer? I want to work my way there through I, I many influential cars over yeah. the years that we need to discuss that For brings sure. us to what I think oh, okay. is the good. answer. Good, good. I love and it. And we'll break that down. But we do have a few items here. First of all, as of this recording, the Geneva Motor Show for 2020 has been canceled. Mm-hmm. The bigger question here is... Does that mean car companies are only going to do virtual reveals from now on? Is this the last Mm -hmm. Geneva show we will ever see? Interesting. Now, I think car shows are not dead. This does not mean because of Mm -hmm. everything going on in the world. That does not mean car shows are dead. Mm -hmm. People like to come see them in person. And photos really make a car look different. Mm -hmm. The Mazda 3 hatchback is a perfect example. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. You you don't think you like it, and then you see it, and you're like, you're fine with it. So car shows, of course, are not dead. That's not what this means. But I do think it does encourage car manufacturers to start doing more virtual reveals and then putting those cars in the hands of journalists and media mm, that mm. are even more specific than they already are. Very targeted kinds of, mm, you know, mm. here we want these people here because we want it to be released, you know, for a certain yeah, yeah, yeah. demographic or whatever that is, depending on the car. So I do think that's going to encourage car manufacturers to invest more in the virtual releases or just have a handful of people at these launches and then they're streamed worldwide. It's an easier way to get that out there. They're kind of doing their own media. It will be interesting because this this will be a test case because what's happened is all of these manufacturers plan to do the pull the the tarp off thing, you know, at at Geneva. They can't now. Yep. So they're going to do it as an online thing. If that's a virtual whip the tarp off. Seriously. But but here's the thing. I think if that proves wildly successful, there will be some questions about do we need to keep doing shows? Well, the reason I I pose this question is because many of you have asked about it, but Mm -hmm. also because of the investment dollars that car companies put in into the really high end booths at the car shows. Yes. Very expensive Mm -hmm. from a few hundred thousand dollars to millions of dollars and the time it takes to craft these and build them. Yeah. And now the car companies are going, well, Shoot, 
we've invested all this money. We'll just do it online. Why don't we do it online? It's a whole <laughs> lot cheaper, yeah, and yeah. we save money and mm-hmm. all this stuff. So I, I think it will encourage that. But again, car shows will be even more targeted, and people want to come see the cars, of mm-hmm. course. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to be online, you know. In a, in a big way, growing way. So that's kind of interesting. Speaking of reveals, Alfa Romeo has revealed the Giulia Quattrofolio oh, GTA yeah. and GTAM, mm-hmm. which are delicious, high-performance really cool. examples. They've increased the horsepower, all the uh, the carbon bits all over the car, and uh, they, they look track-ready. It looks, honestly, it looks like, and I mean this as a compliment, it looks like you mixed the Alfa Giulia Quattrofolio with the Evo 10. Okay, okay. With the, with the, sure. the fenders and the wing and all that Just kind of stuff, it looks like, the, it looks like the, a, a blending of those two the thoughts. Flare, I, suppose, I do yeah. actually really, really like this idea and the look of it. And of course, it's going to be limited edition. I do have to say, though, as much as I like the GTA, I think the GTA M with no back seats and a roll cage is the bridge too far. Well, it comes with a helmet and a driving suit and gloves yeah. and a place to store this little helmet bucket in the back where you just the helmet nestles. And what's going to happen and it makes is the car even more unusable. Somebody's going to take all that stuff and fold it like a diorama in the back seat and drive it to the local cars and coffee, and that's the only time it's ever going to get driven. You know it's going to happen. That's what concerns me. Well, you've yeah. made You've made what is honestly one of the best four-seat driver's cars being sold right now, and I'm not overstating. It's one of the best four-seat driver's cars Absolutely. in the world right now. Absolutely, yeah. And you've made it less than that. You've made it compete with two-seat sports cars, which which is why I'm saying because Fine. it's limited edition. I do not share the cynical view. People, I well, I would I be the cynic for both this. of us. People are going to buy it and do the diorama with the driving suit and drive it local cars and coffee. And be like, I have one and you don't. That's going to be what it is. While he stands there with his with his little coffee, yeah, it's of course. And people will gawk and drool yeah. and yeah, yeah. want the car. I've never seen one of these. Yeah, yeah I have it. You don't. That's All how right. it's going to go. Well, it's awesome looking though. I think there is. It stands for Gran Turismo Allegrita. Mm, it's uh-huh. a throwback to the 1965 Julia Sprint. GT for both of these and then the buckets and the carbon fiber and oh it's delicious but you know what I think these cars are perceived as they need to be driven I don't think these are precious enough to be show pieces I really don't I think you got to go to Maserati on up to Ferrari and I Lamborghini think that once you make it less usable and limited edition they become less likely to be driven I mean cars in general I mean this is along that lines of the the Jaguar XF Project 8 where that, you know, it's four-door, yeah. XF, yeah, totally. XE, excuse me, XE. I knew what you meant. I knew what you meant. Yeah, yeah. The hot one. Mm-hmm. And I don't think those are put on, you know, display that much. I think people are using them. I don't think people part. are tracking them. That's the thing, I though. saw one at the ring. Okay, fair. The, but the ring, but the that ring, was one. but the ring is the weird place, though. The it ring is the, is the very place. weird place. I mean, the ring is the only place in the world with where 150 people live in town, and I swear to you, half of them have Porsche 911 GT3s. True, <laughs> but the Ferraris tiptoe around the track because they're in a Ferrari and they don't want to ding it, and they just tiptoe. And but, it's it's the hot stripped out Polo. Imagine that's blowing by you. Yes, the real hot one. Imagine any other city on the planet where <laughs> half of the driveways have a GT3 RS. Imagine the volume. This is the Nurburgring. It's crazy, yeah. For sure, for sure. We're recording just a bit too early before the Porsche 911 Turbo, the 992 Turbo, is revealed. Mm, mm. So more to come on that, but I'm sure it's going to be 600 million horsepower and yeah. even faster and better. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of become their GT car, which leaves even more space for an even smaller, beautiful 550. You want the new 550, don't you? Yeah, yeah, Something yeah. in there, which yeah. would be luscious. That would be amazing. It'd be very cool, but yeah, you know, I don't think Porsche is going any further down market. I think they're done. I think they're saying, hey, we're making money up here. (laughs) If you've got more cars in the garage space, and we suspect you probably do, then you need to protect it with a custom car cover from Covercraft. We recommend the NOAA Custom Car Cover. They're each made to fit your car perfectly, and they resist moisture, but also breathe to eliminate condensation. It has four-layer protection for all weather conditions, and it protects your car from UV rays as well. The NOAA covers even have a soft inner layer, are made entirely in the USA, and come with a four-year warranty. In the worst winds we've seen, the NOAA cover stays put. Todd had one on the Lancer, and it kept the paint pristine in all conditions. I wore one out after nine years of daily use on my Audi Avant, and people always asked how I kept it so nice. Plus, you can defend your interior against kids and dogs and spills and any weekend adventure you might have in the mud and snow with custom seat covers from Covercraft. You can have the nicest car all winter long with help from our friends at Covercraft. And you can get 10% off your custom car cover and any Covercraft product by using the code every day right now at Covercraft.com. And it even ships for free. 
Follow the link from our sponsors page or go directly to Covercraft.com to keep your car looking its best. Topic Tuesday, most influential car to date. You you actually zeroed it into one? I After after a list that I want okay. to discuss right, briefly, right. Okay. I did zero it down to I have a one list. car. Okay. I'm very impressed. We've got to, of course, start with the first internal combustion engine car, which is the 1885 to 86 Benz three-wheeler that really started things off. Now, okay. in history, there were a lot of steam-powered cars in that era and a lot of people building engines, but it wasn't until Carl Benz actually stuffed it in what is considered a car. It was a three-wheeler, but then in... Three-wheel wagon. It was. He started on engines in 19... Or, excuse me, 1878, but then the first four-wheeled gas-powered car was the 1893 Victoria by Benz also, Mm -hmm. so that went into serious production. And by the way, Benz and Daimler didn't merge until 1926. Mm. So this established... What we know is the disease, all right? Let, let me stop for a quick, quick second. Did you say 1878? That's when he started on the engine development. It didn't go into a vehicle until 10 years later, and that was for a gas engine. There were also steam-powered engines around this time, too. But keep in mind, this is 15 to 20 years after the end of the Civil War. Yes. I just wanted, I just wanted to ground yes. that for a second. This is, this is wow. Okay, yeah, anyway. This is way back. This is, honestly, the Civil War, I'm going to go... Western geek for a second. It's all the good. Civil War, the actual Civil War pistols, was before the revolver that was that didn't have the ball. When you had a pistol in the Civil War, you still had to do oh, the yeah. ball, the musket ball yeah. inside your pistol. Okay, and then the revolution in guns was in the in the late eighteen hundreds when they actually became a revolver, like we all imagine a revolver, sure, where you, right. you pull the hammer back and the, and the chamber spins, all that kind of stuff. That was the big revolution going on in weaponry. <laughs> Meanwhile, the first car engine is being built. <laughs> anyway. Have you have you guys seen the A1 Steak Sauce meme? Because on mm-hmm. A1 Steak Sauce, it says, established in 1862. And the meme is, so in the middle of the Civil War, somebody said, you know what we need? You know what the country needs is a delicious steak sauce. <laughs> so funny. It's very good. I think that's very good. I, I, it's inextricably linked to the Civil War now. I, I think steak sauce. Civil War. I didn't. I didn't do that one. But you know which one I did. I didn't okay. do the first car. All right. I did first car for the masses. The Model T. For sure. For sure. That is because the car that was responsible for assembly line manufacturing. And and it is the car that once that drops, it totally changes cars. It totally changes the trajectory of how people move. Mm-hmm. Before yeah, that, for sure. For the, sure. Let's be honest. The people that are buying cars are kind of playing around. They have money. They want the newfangled thing. It was, you know what? Before that, it was like people currently buying Teslas. Everybody else has horses. Yeah. I'm over here buying the horseless carriage. It was kind of a little gimmicky. Interesting. I don't know if this is really going to catch on. In a way, the Model okay. T happens, okay. yeah. and everybody goes, "Horses? What are those?" I mean, by and large, sure. it became transport for the masses. You know what was interesting about the Model T is that it was in production for 19 years, mm-hmm. from 1908 to 1927. Mm. That thing was in production, and. If Henry Ford had, had his way, it probably would have continued after that. But, you know, we needed to get on with the, with the next car. But it's back to that thing that you've talked about before and others have talked about as well, that we buy cars because they're an emotional purchase, not because of the car we need. And you bring Absolutely. this up very astutely many, many times. Henry Ford was building the car people needed. He was building a Model yeah. T, yeah. and he would have kept building the Model T because the Model T works. Buy a Model T, end. I mean, it, it's even based on usage. In today's cars, if we bought cars based upon our usage, mm-hmm. there would be no fun cars. Mm-hmm. Nobody needs a Hellcat-powered anything because that's not based on your usage. It well, even supersedes need because emotion translates into need. Because if you're emotional about something, then suddenly, well, I, I need it because, well, I just need it. I'm going to make an excuse for it. But honestly, even along those lines, the Lotus Elise has no reason to exist. We're buying cars we need. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, there's there's no need associated with that car, but I like it so much. People don't need SUVs yeah. based on You're usage. Right. because and, and pickup trucks? Are you using the pickup truck to its fullest extent and four-wheel drive capability? Is it constantly up to its axles in mud? <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> yeah, fair point. All right, keep going. All right, Volkswagen Beetle, of course, just mm, because they okay. sold so many. Yeah. The first Beetle came off the assembly line in 1936, and the car just works to my eternal consternation. It just works and it runs. And I know you can associate it with the 356 Porsches because it's, you know, well, it's kind of the same engine design. It's kind of the same layout. Yeah, no, but I'll argue the Porsche 356 is a better drive all day long. 
I'm going to go before that. I had another one on my list that was before the Beatle, though. Oh, really? Okay. The Willie's Jeep. Oh, nice. Because Very think nice. about in World War One, mm. if you moved a light gun or something like that, you used a horse. Yeah, true. If if true. you needed to move stuff along to the battlefield, you used a horse. Mm, that's a good one. You know, the 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 upper level guys, the the generals and stuff, if they went to the front, they didn't walk, they used a horse. If you needed to move a general around, you used seriously, a horse. Seriously. But in World War II, that the Jeep did that. Yeah, it right. became right. the quick transport or the quick tow vehicle. I mean, you've all seen the the crazy videos of them launching them while pulling a cannon. You know, I mean, crazy <laughs> stuff that happened yeah, right. in World War II. Right. The, so it, it creates this was the big thing. It creates transport and makes it normal on the battlefield. Yeah, for sure. That's and a good that, one. And that then also good. changes. Let, let's be honest. It, the car had just become this thing that was starting to have interesting style. Look at the cars of the 20s and the 30s. Started to have interesting style. Started to have kind of layers of cars being built. You're talking about the fact that mm-hmm. the Model T was being built almost up to World War II. Not quite, but almost. Okay? Not Yeah. Well, up to yeah. essentially the, the stock market crash. Right. The cars of the 20s right. and 30s, okay? They started to have some style and flair about them. And then all of that thinking goes into we have to make military vehicles. And out of that comes the Willys Jeep, this indestructible little thing. Yeah. And that has influence going forward from there. Well, speaking of World War II, it was all three American car companies that were supporting the war effort, mm-hmm. of course. And then when the war ended, they didn't have any product. They didn't have any designs. So there are no new designs. So post-war, they just kind of picked up where they left off and started building 1942 models. Yeah, let's build one of those again. That needed a fresh update. But the car that came before, like the 1949 Ford, that was the new aerodynamic, mm-hmm. you know, the new modern Ford, the car that was already doing that was the 1946 to 47 Saab Original Saab was the 92001, the, the okay, Ur, right. Ur Saab. And this was built by aircraft engineers, and you had aerodynamics in 1946. Essentially, they were why can't cars look like the cool airplanes? Why can't they be aerodynamic? <laughs> Didn't we just make planes and missiles? What are we doing? Yeah, this is such a funky-looking car and very teardrop aerodynamic, but it, it was one of those cars I think that everybody pointed to, like, wow, cars can be beautiful. They can be... You know, aerodynamic shapes, and we can think differently about covering up the wheels and how the the passengers are packaged. It was a tiny little thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that did have influence because it wasn't until 49 and 50 that Chevy came out with, you know, their new car. And yeah, Ford came yeah, out yeah. with 49 Ford and, you know, all this stuff. So the, it was interesting to see how World War II affected mm-hmm. car design. Totally. Because totally, the war ended yeah. and they went... All right, I guess we're going to stop making all the war stuff. Let's go back to cars. Let's make one of those fenders again. Shouldn't we make a car? Should we just keep making what we were? But that's yeah. not what the public demanded. And yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. You know, the post, post-war boom in, in economy, people wanted the fresh new stuff. Watch American Original, where the Corvette starts as an influenced by what the American GIs were driving in Europe post-war, mm-hmm. and that's what influenced Harley Earl to make the first Corvette, and then we have the entire Corvette history to follow. We, it was fun to dig into that for that film. It's very fun. For sure. Well, I also had the 1948 Tucker Torpedo on my list. Oh, good. I hadn't thought of that. That's a good one. This was designed by Alex Tremulus, and what was cool about it was that third Cyclops headlight that swiveled. Mm-hmm. If you turn more than 10 degrees in either direction, it would come on, and it would kind of light the way. Mike Kamen has swiveling headlights. The, the Cayenne, we, we have little corner lights that yeah. turn on when you turn it, yeah. Mine, mm-hmm. actually, the ball in there actually swivels, so when you turn around a corner, and all I can think of is the tucker. Interesting. When I drive that, and the, yeah, yeah. the headlights shift, and I'm thinking, well, of course, this is a great idea. Mm-hmm. I've got it on a mm-hmm. little sports car. Why doesn't this exist across the board? I like it. That's good. So, yeah, the tucker was really interesting, and, of course, despite you know everything going on with the American manufacturers... I wish the Tucker would have survived. There were only 51 built, 47 remain. It had a better drag coefficient than most of these new cars mm-hmm. coming from the American mm-hmm. manufacturers. And nicely restored examples now sell for almost $3 million. Wow. If you can believe it. You mentioned the uh, the Corvette. So I've got the 1953 Corvette oh, okay, on my list right, for right. sure. I mean, of course, fiberglass construction, you know, mm-hmm. new way of building cars. And they were sorting out the kinks as they were selling cars, too. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, sometimes it didn't really work out. The fiberglass didn't really work out. <laughs> but also the 64 Mustang that everyone loved, which yeah. led to the horsepower wars. That's on my list. That's pretty much the beginning of the muscle car era is let's put a big engine in a small little car and, oh, yeah. look what we did. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the Camaro appeared in, what, 66, the first Camaro, but I think it was the Mustang that everybody just Everybody scrambled to follow the out. Mustang. Everybody did, yeah. yeah so yeah, for cool. Sure. All I, right. had, I had one just before the Mustang, though. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, the Mustang's on my list, but Jaguar E-Type. Yes. And I have it on there because yes. this is a car. Look look at the design. It's obviously a much beloved design, and, of course, I have a soft spot for it. But this is a car built without a wind tunnel. This is a car <laughs> that was drawn. This is a car where the designer drew it and went, that's what we're building, and they went and they built that shape. Mm. And then it shows up, and rather famously, Enzo Ferrari said it was the most beautiful car I'd ever seen. Yeah. And then, honestly, think about this. There are cars from not only Ferrari, but Nissan, Toyota, and others directly made cars where they were trying to make their version of the E-Type. The 240s from Nissan yeah. are supposed to be a cheap E-Type. The 2000 GT from Toyota, it's yeah. supposed to be an E-Type. Yeah. Iconic cars yeah. in their own right that exist because the E-Type existed. Crazy. I mean, of any car that could sell for style alone, and it kind of had to because of the electrics. Yes. It was the E-Type. Lucas Electrics get home before dark. The, Seriously. The, the thing, though, that's the thing about it is it is such a science project car, and yet, like your Tucker example, it is a science project car that just went, well, that looks good, and let's just build that. Mm -hmm. And then, as a result, all these other car makers go, we need to do that, too. It's like, you guys nailed it. To the fact that all these other car companies yeah. started copying that very same thing. Yeah, crazy. Fantastic. All right, so moving on to a car that was designed by Giorgetto Giugiaro. Mm -hmm. It's the 1967 Mazda Cosmo 110S. Oh, that's a cool car. This that's is the cool first car. Wankel dual rotor engine in a car. Okay. It was the first rotary in a car. Still cool looking. You mm -hmm, see one of mm -hmm. these rarely at, at auto shows, and you go, what is that beautiful thing? It is the Mazda Cosmo. I like it. Very interesting car. That brings me to, well, it doesn't bring me to, but the 84 Plymouth minivan, a car that essentially Ooh. is sort of like Amazon Ooh. does now. I want Amazon to put the thing in my hand before I know that I want it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That minivan defined a new category of car that people needed and realized, why, why don't I have that? You're right. You're I didn't right. know I needed that, but I need that. Mm-hmm. Astounding. 84 killed, minivan. Killed the station wagon and is now, it was a brand new category that still exists, which is crazy. Yeah. I'm going to go to the General Motors EV1. Touch on that briefly. There's a okay. long history about that. First of all, with the nickel metal hydride batteries with a range of 140 miles, but the car was eventually released with lead acid batteries. There's a long history. You need to dive into that. We don't have time to go into yeah, the EV1, true. but I did get a chance to drive it in California when I was there in 94. You actually drove one? I drove I've it. I've never the, heard this. I, I guess I haven't told the story. That's interesting. Okay, I drove it going. at the Huntington Library okay. in 94. Yeah, yeah. My parents were visiting. I was just starting Art Center. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And we came out. And I wanted to show them around the, the city. And we thought, all right, let's go for a Sunday afternoon uh, you know, trip to the yeah, yeah. Huntington. Yeah, yeah. Wanted to show my mom everything there. And she loved it. And then in the parking lot, Southern California Edison was giving test drives of this Seriously? new EV1 thing. And my mom said, well, go drive it. Go. Yeah, and yeah. it was only laps around the parking lot. It of course was like, not. Yeah, yeah. Just punch in a straight line, and of course, it was amazing because it was all electric. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't nearly as quick as a Tesla, but who cares? And then just kind of motor around the parking lot real briefly, and it was just sort of Southern California Edison representatives saying, hey, what do you think? Here's the future. You want to lease one? It might be yeah, coming yeah. out. You know, that kind of thing. And I just, I couldn't believe it. It just, it still sticks with me. Mm. And it was the rep sitting next to me in the passenger seat, and I think I was 20, 21, something like that. I wonder how many current Easy. journalists have even driven an EV1. I had no idea you ever had. That's fascinating. Yeah. I had no idea. Most of them got crushed, except I believe there is still one in the lobby of the College of Creative Studies in Michigan. And there's one in the Peterson. I've seen it. There's one in the Peterson. You're right. You can Very look true. in and you can see the door handle and the slide lock that came right out of the Fiero. There it is. <laughs> in the, yeah, it's, it's pretty classic. Part yeah. sharing even then. Okay, so, you know, speaking of creating a standard... 97 Prius. I had it on my list, too. The Prius, for sure, is on this list. The hybrid template. I mean, this was 97, and that first car had drum brakes mm -hmm. breaking the rear wheels. Mm -hmm. Discs in the front, but drums in the rear. So Ways it was just... to save money, yes. Let's get it out there. But to be honest, they created an entire category with that car. Just like your minivan example. Yes. The yes. Prius comes out, and no one else was even thinking about this. And look at how many manufacturers, forget Toyota for a second, how many manufacturers make some version of a hybrid 
Mm-hmm. And that's the start. Mm-hmm. The impetus is the Prius. It's absolutely on my list. Got to include the 89 Mazda Miata, best-selling two-seat sports car in history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of speaks for itself. But then that brings us to Tesla, the 09 Tesla Model S, which is, you know, kicking car companies in the rear end yep. for a good decade now. I like that Tesla just has created innovation mm-hmm. in other companies. Totally, totally. Tesla's definitely on there. I have one from a similar era. I had the Tesla Model S for sure, and then I had one that I almost put in an honorable mention, but I think it deserves to be mentioned. And that is the Bugatti Veyron mm. because mm. it is, I feel like prior to that car, we were still lingering a little bit with here are the sacrifices I make for my performance car. Okay. Here are the things it doesn't do, but man, it's fast. And the Bugatti Veyron drops out of the sky and it is as fast as you can be and as luxurious as you can be <laughs> in one package. That doesn't mean it did True. everything right. True. But instantly it was the car that was a full second or more faster than anything else zero to 60 a full second yeah or more yeah was running like two nine and everybody else was struggling to get into the threes unbelievable okay and but yet it was like as luxurious as we can make it as cruiser as we can make it i'm not saying it achieved all of this but if you look at that when that drops look at where we are now with what the 911s are like and the McLarens are like. And the, F- the Ferraris have a warranty. Yeah, okay? My exactly. point is it, it, that is the car that definitively kind of said to the people that can afford crazy expensive cars, I don't want to accept the fact that it's finicky and doesn't run and isn't a nice place to be. Mm. And now all the super hyper cars have to do that as well. Yeah, you're right. Money aside, they've created that new standard essentially for that category. For sure. Well, Dodge Hellcats get a special mention because, you know, they've given us a new standard of supercharged V8s, mm-hmm. V8s that are trying to tear themselves apart mm-hmm. with a warranty. Any any Hellcat and any product, I mean, that's huge. How is Dodge it, how, how has Dodge not been bankrupted by doing warranty work on not only Hellcats but the Trackhawk? I don't know. I bought a Trackhawk. I'm going to tow something with it and everything nothing's going to break. And what the weird price is world are we down. living in? Yeah. We can all get them. Okay, so that leads us to finally what I think is the most innovative car to date. Wow. It is named after the entrepreneur Mate Rematz. The C1 was oh. made famous by Richard Hammond because, as you all know, he flipped one upside down and it melted and burned. He, he chucked it off a ridgeline, yeah. Yeah, but the Rematz C2. So Mate is 31 years old. His company... Remots Automobili supplies powertrains for electric and hybrid cars for Aston Martin, Koenigsegg, and Pininfarina. Mm. He also works with Hyundai and Porsche, those two companies have bought in, and 13 other car companies to which he licenses his technology. I'm going somewhere with this. No, I mean, you've already gone a great place, but yeah. Now, he's focused on high-performance electric drivetrains. Yes, yes. Okay, so that means he doesn't want to be a threat to other car companies in terms of volume. Here's our electric Mm -hmm. car that does a lot with people carrying and luggage and packaging and that kind of stuff. So his company currently is valued at $726 million. He's been developing electric powertrains for 13 years, and he's only 31 as of this yeah. recording. Uh, yeah, I was, I'm not smart enough to hang with him, clearly. Yeah, <laughs> none of us are. <laughs> so the C2 is the latest. It's apparently, according to him, fast enough to cause you physiological disturbances. <laughs> that's a great description. That's, that's, that's him. That's really very fun. 1,914 horsepower, 0 to 60 in under two seconds. But the whole point of all of this Mm -hmm. is the reason it's innovative and influential is because he has the future of enthusiast driving in his hands. Mm, Interesting. Okay. High performance, long range, and ultra-fast charging is what he wants to do. His, His cars are really only built to be an example of here's what's possible. It's not mm, to gain mm. a lot of sales. He wants to work Fair. with other car Fair companies point. manifested like the Kia Imagine concept. Mm. It kind of doesn't really know what it wants to be, but the point is it's going to be a fun driver's car that's also electric. Mm. Yeah, you're right. That is that's he's why he's so innovative. Okay, all right. Of course, I still want a Cayman GT4 or whatever that Maserati MC20 is going to turn out to be with an <laughs> engine, an actual gasoline-powered engine. That's what I want. But I, okay. I'm looking at from an innovation standpoint and what yeah, he's doing yeah. to push car companies. And 
they're, he's so far ahead and they kind of need this powertrain technology that mm, they're mm. licensing it from him. It's crazy. He doesn't even care. I, I don't think about really selling too many cars. It's more about, all right, let me help you. He's, he's the, make he's a fun driver's car. The electric equivalent of Lotus. Yeah. He's going to make yeah. cars, but he's also going to sell expertise to other car companies to in make their sense. cars more like his. Yeah. But yeah, very yeah. much in a fun to drive. Sure. Thing, not a, which is Lotus, what Lotus you know, did. Yeah. 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 Here's an electric car. Well, doesn't mean it's fun to drive. Yeah. Honestly, it's just, the old handling by Lotus thinking. And you see that badge yeah. on a car. You're like, really? This thing? Yeah. It's, it's that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Cars are made to be driven, and we can't imagine a future without getting to drive and driving cars we love. The folks at Haggerty feel the same way, and that's why they support this show. One of the many things Haggerty offers for people who love cars is insurance for the enthusiast vehicle. That can be almost anything, from classic cars to trucks and motorcycles, newer collectibles, and even boats. They protect race vehicles off the track, and they can even insure vehicles on the track for high-performance driving events and track days. In fact, we use Haggerty Track Day Insurance every time we drive either the Cayman or the Elise or both on our local track, and it adds a huge peace of mind for us. You can learn more about Haggerty and quote insurance at haggerty.com slash everyday. Sorrel writes to us in Oregon. He is 13 and a half years old. I find it interesting that he points out to us he's 13 and a half years old. Because he's also written to us and said, because uh, I can't get my learner's permit till 15. So he is almost counting the days. Sorrel, I am applauding you right now. I think that's amazing that you want to drive that badly, which means you have a year and a half and it, it's killing you. So your first question to us, and then you have a car debate for your dad. Yeah, super cool. But your first question to us is, how on earth do I feed the disease? I have a year and a half to like and drive. <laughs> and I have some thoughts for that. We also have a really cool car debate for your dad. All right. So jumping in for his dad, first of all. He had a 1971 BMW 2002 for almost 30 years, but had to sell it due to a bad engine. He loved the sports car feel, but chose to buy two consecutive 1999 and 2014 Subaru Outbacks, as you do. He's looking, for, he's looking for a car with good mileage. Mm -hmm. As mentioned, live in Oregon, so they need a car that will handle well in the rain. Okay. They've also got, his family has a 2018 Honda CRV, so this new car would not be used for driving up a mountain or going on trips. This is just the fun Midlife crisis car, essentially. But with decent gas mileage, which is an interesting twist. Right. Yeah, yeah. Now, Dad's typical commute is highway and city streets, but they often drive to the beach two hours away, and the drive has winding back roads and open highways. Mm -hmm. So they're looking for a car. And you notice there, I, I think, Sorrel, you're, you're sort of angling whatever this car turns out to be will got to be the one you start to learn to drive in, and then maybe it becomes yours. Well, maybe, but also, uh, hi, Mom and Dad, because by this point, you're listening <laughs> yes, to this podcast because yes. Sorrel is going, see, see, we've got good ideas. We <laughs> should get sure. one of these. Don't get another Outback. Get a – here's where we go. Yeah. For sure. So what they're looking for is a car with at least four seats. Two doors is good. Okay. They looked at the Civic Si Coupe. Very like good choice. Yeah. They also looked at a Tesla Model 3. But he said they want manual transmission if possible, which means, you know – not too many manuals hooked up to electric cars quite yet. Not really happening, no. Budget of twenty to $40,000, so there's a lot of good stuff in there. Mm -hmm. Sporty, fun to drive. Again, midlife crisis, but good mileage. So what is there? Well, you're a BMW guy, so of course a 2 Series immediately springs to mind. Mm -hmm. You would like a 2 Series rear-wheel drive, manual transmission, Two-door, four-seat cars. There's not too many of those floating around. And you can get a, you could get whatever. You could find a 228, which is a little four-cylinder, and just mm -hmm. concentrate on gas mileage. But that, that makes the front end lighter. Those are really surprisingly powerful and fun. Or you can step your way up to the M235 or 240. Uh, we've driven those on the ring. We've driven them a lot of times on camera. They're excellent. You could almost – you could. You could with this budget. I have to say it. You could get up to first-year M2s. Oh, oh, they're Manual right about 40. They're right about 40. It's the top end of your budget, First but they've come year down. First year M2s are on oh. the list. Now, now you're suffering more in gas mileage because you got more engine out of it. But how good does your gas mileage need to be? Yeah, Maybe but who cares about that? Mean, Suddenly you're yeah. in an M2. But no, you could. But you could. I mean, literally the almost the entire 2 Series lineup is available to you, and I think you should drive a couple variants and see. I love that you brought it up, Paul, because it was on my list as well. still wish that low-wing Honda Civic Type R would make it to the States because that is the midlife crisis. I mean, if you're going to yeah. have a midlife yeah, crisis, yeah. Let's, go. let's have some angular styling to go along with that, right? Well, honestly, with this budget, why get the Civic Si when you can get the Type R? That's kind of what I'm thinking. Truth, truly. Let's embrace 
replace the wing. Yes. And Sorrel and his dad now with more wing. Here's the thing. Sorrel, you and your dad can, can have a moment here. You can have a moment where the two of you get to stand with pride side by side the Civic Type R while mom slash wife just shakes her head. You might you have to have, get tinted windows. You can have I'm that moment together to as a family where she's just like, you've got to be kidding. And the two of you just cackle and leave. Exactly. You two yeah. idiots go for a drive. Uh-huh. All right. So Veloster N is on my list. That's easily within sure, your budget. Sure, sure, Lots of fun. It kind of does everything. It's got a lot of spice. Fun to drive. Great turbocharged engine. Something like that could be in there because it does have space in the back seats. Not a lot, yeah, but it yeah. does have space. Could work. You know what doesn't have space is a Mazda MX-5 RF. It does not. There's, there's no four seats in that. You can't even see four seats from there, yeah. But with the new engine? I know you like a, it. I don't think it works here, but I know you like it's it. A great, yeah. It's a great car. I, there's no back seats. What about the forthcoming GTI? What about that new eighth-generation Volkswagen GTI? Possibly, but you know, I actually put the Golf R on here because I thought, yeah. you know, it's it's going to be it, it's not as fun as the Civic Type R. But if you want to go a little classier, that still gets nearly thirty miles to the gallon. So does the Civic Type R, by the way. We're like talking like twenty eight, twenty nine miles to the gallon on the highway. That's viable, and the Type R has just got a little bit more spice. I mean, the GTI. Look, the GTI is going to work here. It, it will work. Yeah, it yeah. will work. The Golf R would be a little bit more for your money uh, because you're getting a used one now. If you're spending, I don't think you should get a new one. And uh, honestly. I'm weird in this regard. I feel like the Golf R is the right choice used. I feel like the GTR is the right choice new. I don't feel like the price premium yeah. to the Golf R makes it make sense. But if you can get a Golf R for in the 30s, mm-hmm. get a Golf R. So does that mean he should just go out and get a Focus RS? Uh, see, <laughs> after think, all this, I think the Focus RS is probably too hardcore for his usage. But it's midlife crisis. It is, but he also needs to actually. Because here's the thing: if you're going to commute in the Type R. Versus the Focus RS. Type R. Exactly. For sure. Exactly. And, and, they, and they both look crazy. They both look like a perfect midlife crisis car. They do. You can tone the Type R down a little bit by getting it in gray. But, uh, <laughs> but seriously, you want it in blue. The, blue. the blue and the red are awesome. The blue is awesome. But, uh, but you know yeah. what? While we're talking blue, I will say it. Mm. Dad, go drive the WRX. You're a Subaru guy. True. That's You've true. You've had two Outbacks. Yeah. Go drive the WRX with the manual only. That is the Pacific Northwest do-it-all car. It sure is. It sure and, is. And yeah. to the people that don't know, it blends. And to the people that do know what it is, they're like, oh, you got a WRX. That's pretty cool. <laughs> you can get it wing-free. You can. That's the thing with WRX. It, it will can. blend in traffic. You can. Maybe now, granted, to granted there's a discussion in the WRX world of do you age out of one of those cars? Because there is a WRX demographic that sometimes we've had people write this show where they like the sure. WRX but don't want to be associated with it. But I, but embrace it. I agree. At least go drive it. Really Let's, go drive it because you're a yeah. Subaru guy. Yeah, I like that. All right. So those are your suggestions. Got any more? Uh, well, I do want to say, look, I think you'd enjoy the Model 3 because it's so very different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it would be very fun because it's different. Sure. I don't think it's... That might be the answer because of the because of the oddity of it, but not novelty. Interesting. It's it would lo- it would last a while. That that oh, fun feeling. I think so, feeling. I think so think because so? because it's because it's revolutionary enough from the stuff you've had. Mm. Okay, so I do think that's a viable option. Can you can you get one for forty though? Uh, no. You're going to have to find somebody selling one used because new. I don't right. think you're, the one you want is the one you want's going to be sixty. Somebody's that's really getting rid of a single motor and upgrading to a dual motor, and they want something, out of it. Something like that. I think that's going to have to go. You you mentioned rain in here, and I want to say the key to rain sorrel is tires. Oh, for sure. Just for tires, sure. tires, 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 tires. And then I do have some thoughts for you specifically, Sorrel, about what are you going to do with these next uh, year and a half <laughs> while you're, you're, you're dying to drive? Do you have thoughts on this as well? I do. I do. Okay, go on. All right. So, Sorrel, you have the gift of time and reading. Yeah. Yeah. So I say invest in some history books about general car industry stuff, but also what are your favorite brands? What's what's floating up to the surface as far mm-hmm. as your favorite brands that you kind of want to become an expert in, that you can, mm. not to bury people with knowledge and, and that rub their notice, noses in it. That happens. But just to become an expert in so many things and know about engine types and be able to explain a turbocharger to people and be able mm. to explain mm. various transmission types and the voltage and the amps on an electric car and the differences and mm. what... 
what you feel when you step on the gas and start to be able to explain those and become an expert just through the history books and through knowledge. I'm sure you consume a lot of automotive media already. Probably, yeah. But I say go back through history and, and understand you know, where all these cars, like we're talking about, the influential cars that really kicked things off and how those influenced cars in the 20s and 30s and mm, you know, interesting. really become versed in that history because I think that's a lot of, I'll be honest, what a lot of automotive journalists kind of gloss over or maybe don't know about. Mm, and mm. they think, well, I'm just in the new, you know, new everything. It's got to be Paganis and purple Lamborghinis because that's all that matters. Because <laughs> we're putting it on YouTube later. So it's yes. got to be purple Lamborghinis and Paganis. So I do I, like that. That's I good. encourage reading. I encourage all of that. And then, of course, I'm sure you're already consuming all forms of racing on television and, uh, you know, auto shows as well. But, you know, that history, the I, reading. I love that you have the interest in driving that badly. I think that's awesome. I'm going to mention this real quick for you and your dad. Your dad's about to get a new ride. <laughs> so you need to do road trips and autocross with that. Nice. And that brings me to another thing, which is, look, you're going to have to go, honestly, event by event, group by group, in what I'm going to say. Mm. One of the things that frustrates me about track driving is how many groups don't want passengers of any kind, any age. Oh, okay, sure. So it really depends on the group. And sometimes they don't allow it on track. Exactly. That's probably. But autocross is a lot more flexible. Yeah, a lot of track days. Yeah. So look into local autocrossing, look into local uh, high-performance driving events, and see what their rules are for passengers and if the passengers need an age. A lot of times, unfortunately, the passengers have to be driving age, which is a part of me that's just like if the kid, in your case, Sorrel, you are, if he's old enough to sit seat-belted in the passenger seat, what does it matter if he's 16? That's really what I think about it. Mm-hmm. Granted, I'm a weird father. But so these, this is my thing. But, but autocross, again, is much more flexible most of the time. I mean, I've actually seen it depends. Again, it depends on the group. I've seen people in the backseat in autocross. Like we put a bunch of people in a car and we did autocross. Okay. Mm-hmm. It, it's not common, but yeah. you're going to need a helmet. <laughs> go go check. Are unhappy. Go check your local autocross group because I suspect you may find some that are okay with you riding along with dad or riding along with the local hot shoe. Mm-hmm. The reason I yeah. say here is because it takes you out of experience, which you, you've probably done a lot, which is you just, you're getting taken to school or events or down on the, on the family road trip and whatever. Get into a high performance driving situation, watching someone else drive. Mm-hmm. Because sure. what happens sure. a lot of times, especially as a young driver, you get so overwhelmed by everything that's going on around you that there's stuff you don't even learn until you settle down as a driver. If you're taking that stuff in now, if you're a 14-year-old that is experiencing the G-forces and the rapid direction changes of an autocross enough that you can get past the initial, oh my gosh, I never, I just, it was over before I never you felt past that. that. Yeah, yeah. Now you can watch the guy drive. Oh, interesting. Watch, I like that. Watch the girl that's the best person at autocross. Watch her drive. Where do they shift? What are they doing? How are they making the car do that? All of that stuff will matter eventually. You can educate yourself on driving without even driving if you can get ride-alongs. And it's going to depend, like I say, your local area, local groups. But I think there's something there that may feed you. And then if you're not karting already, please go karting. Karting is awesome. Brilliant. Agreed. When we're searching for cars for you, local or nationwide, our searches start with Auto Tempest. Instead of searching each car shopping site separately, you can enter all your parameters into Auto Tempest one time and then search them all at once. With Auto Tempest, you enter your search one time and see local or nationwide results from Cars.com, TrueCar, eBay, and many more. Or you can jump to Craigslist, Auto Trader, or Car Gurus without entering anything new. And they just added a link to Facebook Marketplace too. Auto Tempest can help you find your next new or used car if there's a dozen in your neighborhood or two in the country. So if you're doing your drive homework, chasing your dream car, or just looking to feed the disease, head to autotempest.com. All the cars, one search. Jumping into questions here on social media, there's a question that stuck out, asked on Instagram from Dammit Patton, who just watched a documentary on Glenn Curtis and how his contributions to aviation were lost to history compared to some of his contemporaries like the Wright brothers. So who in the automotive world do we feel has had a huge impact but never received the recognition? I have one for you, Andrew. It is Harry Miller. Look up the 1917 Miller-Offenhauser Golden Submarine, which launched his work as a constructor. Get Mm. this, between 1922 and 1928, Harry Miller-powered cars won the Indy 512 times. 
1923, four of Miller's 11 entries finished in the top four spots. The guy was renowned as a builder. And so if you ever see a Miller at an auction or you see it on display or a show or somewhere like that, really go go up to it and take a close look at the quality, the clever details. It is a feast for Mm. engineering, Mm. for clever details, like I said, all that kind of stuff. Just pour over everything about it and really look it over closely, and I think you'll love them. Interesting. Michael Moore has a good question on Facebook. I'm still kind of thinking of my answer here, but I love the question. He's looking for a unique driving experience. He wants it to be a weekend garage queen car. Okay, it's going to be this is not going to be an Aaron's car. It's and look, I got to be honest with you Michael, whatever car you get here, I want you to drive it more than you plan to. Mm. I want you to I want it to just be a garage queen. But your plan here is you want to buy a car that's a totally unique experience that is your fun car only that is only driven for fun. It's, you're going you're going it, it's the Ferris Bueller joke. You're going to rub it with a diaper. You're going to keep it super clean. Okay? <laughs> You want it to be a long t- You remember that? Oh, just, yes, the visual he never image, drives the it. diapers. He just rubs it with a diaper. Uh, <laughs> anyway. So funny. Yeah, it's awesome. So funny. Uh, but, but you want to have this be a long-term prized possession, okay? Unique, all these kind of things. You have two initial thoughts. You want to know if we have others. One is a 2020 uh, GT350R Mustang. You already have a deposit down on one. The other one is the 2027-18 Cayman. Mm, yeah, yeah. Michael, look, I like both those cars. I like both those cars a lot. We've driven them and we've raved about them, and they're awesome. I don't know that they're unique enough for what you're saying. Okay, okay. I'm with I, I you. don't know. I'm with you. In five years, are those cars a long-term prized possession? I kind of think no. I'm with you. I hate to admit it, but I'm with and, you. And it, it takes yeah. nothing away from the fact that they're great to drive. Yeah. But I kind of think no. So I have... Two other thoughts for you. Actually, three other. I'm, I'm like building thoughts as we sit here. Four. Is one a bobsled? No. Okay. But thank you. BMW 1M. Oh, yes. Good. That is a moment in time car that is going to age very well. And in 10, 20 years, people are going to be like, oh, 1M. Yeah, in a way that, yeah. honestly, as much as we like it, they aren't going to say about the M2. They're never going to say that about the M2. So the, the 1M's prices are still up BMW there. 1M. Yeah. V12. Vantage with a manual. <laughs> yes to all of that. Aston Martin. Vantage van- manual. Love that one. Also, Audi R8 V8. Okay. Gated six-speed. First generation R8. Yes, like the 09. Love it. That's an also a moment in time. And then uh, a Lotus Evora. Sure. Yeah. The GT if you can. Delish. The 400 is great, but because that is a car that already being sold right now feels like a car from another era, and they're awesome. I, I love the 400. I think all of those I've just listed are more of a unique moment in time, and in 10 years, people are going to be like, that's a very specific, awesome choice. In a way that while I like that Mustang and Cayman, those aren't going to maintain that. And please send photos, by the way, when please. you do decide. We'll drive it, too, if you'd like. Yeah. yeah, for sure. All right, on Facebook, Kyle Burkhardt says, Paul, his wife and he are buying a Lexus GX. Okay. The 2020 model year has finally succumbed to the Predator Ma. You're right. As a matter of fact, we just had a 2020 Lexus GX 460. His wife loves it, the truck and the Ma, he says. Please okay. explain the merits of the design so he feels better. <laughs> well, she's listening too. I can tell. Mm, step <laughs> carefully, my friend. Yeah, there's a lot the of merits in this room. Well, as I said, we just had that truck from Lexus. We did. And we drove it. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of legacy in this truck. Okay? <laughs> tiptoeing carefully. You are, you are tiptoeing masterfully through, through the here. landmines. Yes. So what that means is... There's a, a long history and enthusiasm for land cruisers, and they're excellent off-road vehicles, and this thing is ready for off-road. The problem is, I don't think anybody who buys a $72,000 GX460 goes bombing around the canyons and off-road yeah. and gets it really muddy. But if yeah. you do, that does justify it. Mm. Now, what Lexus does is update that with styling that is very popular in Japan, and it is actually very conservative in Japan because you ought to see the Toyota Alphard and the Velfire vans. Yeah, you yeah, thought yeah. a boxy van couldn't be anything more than a box? <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> Holy moly, yeah. they are 
yeah, yeah. They are a, a feast for a different way. I, there's something. There's something going on there. So so look at those, the Alphard, A-L-P-H-A-R-D, and the Velfire, V-E-L-L-F-I-R-E. Mm-hmm. Look at those, and then <laughs> look at the GX and be like, well, this is kind of boring and stayed. <laughs> the GX looks like they calmed it down after <laughs> those vans, did. for sure, yeah. They did. But the merits of the styling mean that Lexus has been able to make something more luxurious and keep that Land Cruiser four-wheel drive, the greatness of that four-wheel drive platform and yeah. the ability that that truck has. And indeed, it feels like a truck underneath. It's not the typical you know SUV ride. It feels heavier like a truck. And if that's what she likes and likes how it drives, mm-hmm. well, you're combining that with more modern styling that does fit in the Lexus family. So yeah. You're, yeah. you're kind of getting best of both worlds if that's what you like. Plus, that rear tailgate opens to the side. So you pull that that's open, yeah. hinged like a, a cabinet door. Yeah, that's a good description. But yeah. then you do still have that glass that pops open. So it's actually quite useful in a different way. But, you know, it's it's keeps in that land cruiser heritage and this is something that all those land cruiser freaks aspire to yeah you're right you're right uh the barrett mobile tv on instagram says what are our thoughts on sim racing tech has come a long way he says i'm a car nut sim racing scratches an itch that would otherwise be pretty expensive in other words (laughs) i can actually race a lot in my sim racing setup without actually paying for a track day and tires and brakes and all these kind of things Mm. uh how close am i getting to the real thing is kind of what he's asking here Honestly, if you're actually playing a game that is designed to be a simulation game and not an arcade driving game, like some of the the uh, Need for Speed games and these kind of things, they're much more concerned with being an arcade game, and they're, they can be crazy fun. But if you're focusing on like iRacing and uh, some of the other ones, like uh, a set of courses, phenomenal. Project Cars is very good. Forza can be very good. You focused on more of the ones that are actually trying to be simulations. Are they helpful? I think the short answer is yes. The long answer is I think they can reinforce bad habits sometimes because it's a world of no consequence. Mm. But if you are learning things sure. like the line, I'll tell you this, if you can do it with VR so you can actually look into the corner and these kind of things. Yeah, if you can turn can your teach, head. And... It can teach you much better eyes than anything else. Which Peripheral is, which is, is important. The, the big thing I struggle with is making sure my eyes are up and down the track enough and looking around the corner enough. Right. That helps you immensely. It can be great on that. I actually think sim racing, if you do it, when I say this, you do have to invest enough to do it right. You need to have the seat and mm-hmm. the pedals and yeah. the wheel, and if you can, the VR. The, the farther you get down that road. But I'll give you a reason why I know it works. Remember, Nissan did that GT Academy years ago, and a couple of those guys became successful racers. They came out yeah, of the right. PlayStation Gran Turismo game. Right. They gave them a racing school. They got actual seats in race cars with Nissan and did well. Remember that Brian Heikotter did a, did a couple laps with you. And yeah, I rode crazy with him. fast. In a Nissan GTR Nismo yeah. on the front straight of Willow, we turned left into turn one at Willow Big Track at 130. Why not? Sure. If you can do it. That car can do it. Car's like, and the oh, driver whatever. Can do it. Yeah, for sure. So, th- so there's an example. But another example is that uh, we just did this SCCA race school, uh, open wheel race school that's yeah, part right. of season right. seven. And one of the discounts that SCCA racing gives is, the, is a sign up for iRacing. Yeah. So yeah. they're actually defending it as well. I think it is a great thing. I just think that the lack of consequence is the thing you have to learn. That and the G-forces when it becomes real. LDK159 on Instagram has a car design question who sees a lot of newer SUVs and CUVs with plastic moldings along the bottom edge mm. of the vehicle. So that's the, the rocker right Glad there. Glad you're covering this. So this is the 2020 RAV4 Crosstrek HRV. Why is this? This seems to be a trend, especially among Asian manufacturers. Could it be for rust protection? Negative Ghost Rider. Those are for wear protection and rock kickup. And they're also a sneaky designer way to disguise the proportional height of the vehicle so it doesn't look so tall. Very good. Very good. Billy Left has made me laugh. He said he spent the last two months kept catching up on the podcast, and he's listening at 1.5 speed. <laughs> we got to talk faster, speed. don't we? The problem is you and I talk so fast already that, Billy, I can't believe you're listening at one and a half no times. Kidding. No Most kidding. Most people honestly can't believe how fast we already talk. But he's laughing because now that it's gone back to he's caught up. He's gone to real time, and so we seem quite slow. Should just talk. What's funny normal. is that other, another person listening to the show, Chris has actually told us that he, for a laugh one day, listened to it at halftime speed, and you and I sound drunk. Oh, no. So, so you can have <laughs> all kinds of fun with speed. So, it's Billy, great. thanks for listening to the whole podcast. Sorry that we've slowed down so much because typically we're pretty quick. Frankie Peartree was recently told by a car enthusiast friend that applying anti-galling compound on his wheel studs, so anti-galling, also anti-seize, 
when rotating and swapping summer to winter tires is a bad idea. But he does so now because corrosion caused him to snap a few studs in his days, he says. Since he started with the compound, nothing has snapped. But apparently doing so increases the risk of loosening the nut or the stud itself and losing a wheel. Is there any truth to that or torquing to spec with the compound is perfectly all right as a maintenance practice? Well, you notice that there isn't an OEM I can think of that says you should apply anti-seize compound to your studs or your threads. The galling comes into place when the air wrenches overstretch your studs and because they over torque them and they're essentially stretching out the metal mm. Which is a problem. That's why you'll hear of engine blocks, and they've got the the bolts are stretched, and mm. causes you a lot of problems. Let's put it that way. So torque specs are super important because those studs, those threads on there, can get stretched out, and that does start to make things loosen up. So again, torque specs are are very important. But ultimately, what I want to leave you with is there is no OEM that recommends anti-galling compound or C's on their wheel studs. They do not say that there's no wheel yeah. manufacturer. I'm glad that you are. I knew of a guy who was racing a Nissan, uh, GTR Nismo on track. He was campaigning it. He bought it. He got into track driving and those early cars were known for snapping their wheel studs. Okay. And so he pulled one in, pulled back in after one session. And on one of the wheels, he only had two that were not broken after a hard track session. Oof. I mean, if a wheel comes off, there's not much you you'll, can do anymore. You'll notice. Yeah, you'll, you'll be aware. <laughs> you think? You, you will continue in the trajectory that you began on. Yes. Yeah. So he was at Road Atlanta, you know, moving fast. And wow. so he was freaked out. So what he did was replace all those wheel studs. And that is a known issue with those early cars. They tell you, you know, swap those out, replace them. So if that's what you're doing, I don't recommend the compound. I do recommend replacing the studs themselves. They were matchsticks on my FRS. They broke when you breathed on them wrong. Yeah. But here's and the thing. And you replaced them, did you not? I did not, actually. But, well, I had to, yes, I did replace them. I yes. Had to, yeah, I had to replace them. That's I what did, I, I, didn't, I didn't upgrade them. I replaced you them replaced with new them. OEM ones instead of upgrading right. them. Right. That was the debate. The other thing about this is you've stepped into one of those things here that is internet fighting words. For every Very single true. person that says, do not ever do this, Very there true. will be an equal number of people that say, I do it all the time and I do it with this feature and it's never done me wrong. That's true. They're, I don't know, it's Pepsi and Coke. <laughs> I am the problem 28 on Instagram said, Todd, has your wife driven the Phaeton? And if so, what does she think? <laughs> you know, when she first drove it, uh, she fought with it because okay. it has so many settings and so many things to do. And when I first got it, the batteries needed to be replaced. And so the alarm was a bit finicky. And so the first time she drove it, she hated it <laughs> because she fought with it. Can't believe and it, that. the alarm went off and she just, and she was trying to get somewhere. She just really, really didn't like it. And she was looking at me like, what have you done? <laughs> so then what car runs in the, Yes. collection seriously that which that, that's happened <sighs> which is which, the car which that car am runs? i taking yeah exactly but but <laughs> so but, awful but then since then actually to her credit the next time there was an opportunity to drive it we had some lead time and she said would you do me a favor would you take me out and kind of walk me through the setup on the phaeton and i said absolutely so we sat down and i said you need to do this because again it's got that draftless hvac system and if you want to override it you got to know the combo it's oh yeah you know, all this kind of stuff so yes i told her two or three things that kind of made her and the car get along and now she's perfectly happy to take it any time. Like I'm that glad to or, hear that. Or that or the kind. She's like, I'll just take the fate and it's fine. She actually thoroughly enjoys it. She's amazed as honestly anyone that rides in it is. When you get that car up to freeway speeds, the first time you ride in it, everybody's response is the same. When you get up to freeway speeds, they will look at me and say, how much do you buy this for? <laughs> totally. Right. Because no $5,000 car in history has been as good a road car as that one. So it's if you're awesome. going to just get on a freeway yeah. or you're going to – rumble around somewhere she actually thoroughly enjoys it. it is a monster and we recently had the uh, brand new toyota sequoia trd mm -hmm. yes. monster yes okay it is every bit as big as the phaeton in dimensions but about three feet higher can't believe that and i couldn't figure out why i was sitting so high and my wife got in it, and like from the moment she touched the seat, she was like, "I love this." She just likes sitting. So that that honestly, I'm the guy that normally when I'm driving around in the Lotus, if I go through a drive-through, I reach up right. like some little kid toward the drive-through window. In the Sequoia, I was reaching down. Like, what's all this? And in the Phaeton, I'm like normal level, like like talk right, to people. Right. The Phaeton feels right. The Sequoia felt felt like you know I was sitting on a cliff edge, uh, which you know she loved. So 
The problem that she has with the Phaeton, honestly, long answer, sorry, is that it's not a truck. It doesn't have a high enough ride height. But Funny. she likes it. Funny. I really like the suspension on that TRD Sequoia. That I know was you did. different than the one you that uh, you had on your road trip last year. I know you did. I know you liked it. I, I just I. I'm not pleasantly a, surprised. I'm not a body on frame guy, and my wife is now has driven it. It's like I like this very much. Well, she's truck girl, so she is for sure. Why. Seth Klein on Facebook asks us, well, ask me how I feel about automakers changing where door handles go, <laughs> and why don't more vehicles move the location of the handle? Well, you're right. Car designers hate door handles. Yes. By the way, the way yes. architects hate cars. <laughs> You've mentioned this before. Oh. You don't think house architects like cars very oh, much. Oh, they hate cars. You'll never see a smaller parking space on the planet than when an architect plans one. Let in me a, plan a, a mall parking lot. In an architect's mind, all of us are driving smart cars. I don't know what, where that happened. Do you but not yeah. know about door dings? Let me explain door dings <laughs> and how stressful they are. Yes. So Seth noticed this on the new Lincoln Continental where it's built into the window surround. Yes, yeah, that trim yeah. piece right at the shoulder there. Thinks it cleans up the side of the car so much. You're right. That's why car designers, all those cool sketches, guess what? The door handles are never on there. You're right. You're because right. they're ugly warts. Mm-hmm. And everybody who buys the car wants a door handle because of the function. And that's how you get in there. Yes. They want the door handle. Designers hate them. They leave them off the sketches. It cleans up the body side. It screws up their theme on the side. <laughs> I totally get it. So when you come up with an alternative, I like what people have done building them into like the C-pillar on various cars. Sure, various, sure. Uh, the, the HRV, I think, is one. Yep. And, um, yeah, various other cars have built them in, kind of hidden them. I'm curious to know how the hmm, future Ford Mustang Mach-E works with the button mm-hmm. that kicks the solenoid open, and then you're supposed to put your fingers mm-hmm. in the door to pull it open. What happens when people are jostling and pushing and it accidentally bump up against the door while your fingers are in it? Yep, that's We've happen. been told our entire lives that don't stick your fingers in the door. Yep. And now Ford is telling us, stick your fingers in the door. It's very odd. I'm very surprised. At it. The, the, my Lotus has it stuck in underneath the uh, the... Uh, sorry, the intake side, mm-hmm. that yes. body panel is underneath yes. there. But the C8 does something similar. Some of the Ferraris do something similar. Yep. Tuck it right underneath yep. there, yeah. That's why they do that. So, yes, you're right. I like it when alts are created, but when it's too far. And this just, I haven't even tried it yet on the Mustang Mach-E. We just observed it at the auto mm-hmm. show thinking, why would you stick your fingers in the door? That doesn't seem too right. But there's no other You're going to get your it. fingers hurt. Yeah. They're going to get slammed on the door and you're going to scream. It's crazy. No. So there needs to be a nice balance. But if there's a door handle, that designer hates it. Guarantee you. <laughs> he doesn't and like where said, it ended up. Fine. Put in production. Here's my design. Fine. I, grr. <laughs> Amadly on, uh, on Instagram says, Springs around the corner. What do we think is a spring checklist for seasonal drivers like us when the, the fun cars start coming out? I have to say this. I have been on a mission <laughs> For the last couple of weeks. Melt the snow on your driveway so you can I actually get the car out? I am trying to melt the snow on my driveway to get the car out. Step one, I have melt almost the snow. Gotten, I have almost gotten, this is ridiculous. I have almost gotten, my driveway's flat, but it is, is so snow prone, it's unbelievable. I've almost gotten one tire track clean to concrete. And I figure if I can get one, I can one wheel drive the Lotus off the drive. Because everything else is dry. By the way, everyone, Todd is using a heating pad to I am. do this. I'm using, I had I had eight-inch thick ice on my driveway, and I have almost cut one track. A heating pad. It's, it's working. It's taking a while. It's like the size of a doormat. It's a big, uh, yeah. And yeah. it's plugged in, and he moves it down like, oh, that, that place is a little Let's slide it down a little bit more. Yeah. It's, slide it's, it down. It's working, people. The magic's working. <laughs> no, honestly, honestly, as, as insane as that sentence is, what I really want to say is, because this, this is what this instantly made me think of, when the roads first open in the spring, be careful or don't go out with your buddies. On yeah, a drive. For sure, because for the sure. thing that happens, and I notice it every year, and I'm finally it's finally registering enough. The problem is, the snow has melted, but there's all kinds of stuff on the road. Yeah, yeah. And so if you go up with your buddies and you drive, whoever is not in the lead, everybody else is getting peppered like really nasty d- dings from stuff getting kicked up. Mm-hmm. So either leave yeah. tons of space or go by yourself and know that there is tons of stuff on the road that will chip paint and throw stuff and. That is a, a, for, until and the it's first, dangerous. It's little ball bearings. The until the first few weeks happen around. and stuff, people actually drive those roads. There's stuff everywhere. That's my big caution. Why is Todd dressed like the Grim Reaper out there chipping ice in his driveway? Oh, honey, he wants to get his Lotus out. Yes, exactly. Oh, right. Forgot yes. about that. It's that the, time of year again. He dresses like the Grim Reaper and he's I, chipping ice. I have a neighbor 
who everything he this is by the way this is also the neighbor who owns the big Kubota tractor that oh right builds like you know snow walls to to it's amazing he builds like pathways for water he's he's out there constructing things out of snow every year it's amazing it's amazing everything else he drives is a lifted heavy duty off roader seriously okay so so he is the Marlboro man he lives two doors down from me and I I, I really like him he's a great neighbor but I actually have always wondered for a while. How insane does he think I am? Because everything I drive is the opposite of what he drives. And I actually saw him at the mailbox. We have like a central okay. mailbox. Some of right. the mailboxes last year. And he looked at me and he goes, hey, when's your cool little yellow car coming back out? And I was like, that's the last thing I expected you to say. But he was like, I love seeing that thing. And that thing's awesome. But I was amazed Funny. because ev- honestly, everything he has, I could practically walk underneath. And he was like, I, I love that you have that thing. But of course, Funny. he's not buying one. Last question for me, Sasquatch16V says, other than a CRZ, are there any fun-to-drive hybrids? Uh, Porsche 918 Spider, maybe, <laughs> I guess. Interesting, all right. Other than that, um, it's tough. It's tough. We want more from our cars, don't we? Well, at, Especially the hybrids. Your NSX, it's along the similar NSX, line. It's like a cheap 918 Spider. It is, it is kind in of? many ways. Yeah. I mean, okay. Relatively speaking, all things considered. That's a good answer. You see Shane's question? I have to end on Shane's question. All right. S. Mulhern on Instagram says, if we had to do the big sedan challenge again, <laughs> would we? And any thoughts uh, about it as we're actually in the middle of it, about the uh, the financial ruin? I mean, the financial investment <laughs> yeah. and the return on investment, et cetera. Honestly, look, you guys are the reason we did it. Absolutely. You Absolutely. guys helping us and actually wanting to help us on GoFundMe and bringing in the idea. You guys honestly bought the Quattroporte for Paul. Hands down. Now, that yeah. was all the money. Yeah. So the show went out and bought the Phaeton, which mm-hmm. seemed cheap until we put suspension and batteries and a bunch of other things in it. So now it, the $5,000 car has cost us about ten grand. How do we abbreviate that into a license tag? Phaeton, it seemed cheap at the time. Seemed cheap. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a cheap Jetta. It's going to be great. Jetta XL is really the, the, that's the place where, I'm at, where we are. <laughs> uh, honestly, look, this has been more fun. And more stretching than I think either of us realized. For sure. For sure. I'm also continually surprised, honestly, at the YouTube response. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we kind of figured it would be interesting for YouTube. And we know that it is in the wheelhouse of Hoovy, even though he buys cars, doesn't drive them much. And he tries to buy the worst one. We specifically were buying cars yeah. to drive them. Yeah, that's not us. We want we to drive them. driving them a lot. Yeah. And that is revealing things, both good and bad. We both have even more videos coming on. You've got kind of a foibles... Uh, details video coming and so do i individual Mm -hmm. videos on each of these cars honestly i'm really really glad we did it the challenge now for me is can we do it again because i feel like in a weird way we kind of got lightning in a bottle by picking cars that people are genuinely intrigued by i'm not sure and we've talked about it i'm not sure what other cars we could do if we do this again if we do this again if that would that would be that lightning in a bottle thing where people are that intrigued and we're that stretched by it Tarag V10? But it's essentially the lifted Phaeton. I mean, the Mm. fact that I am driving the exact opposite car from the Lotus is part of what's made it magical. And I am finding the things about it that I love that couldn't be more different than the Lotus. I I, I look forward at some point I need to to actually take both cars and put them on camera together and talk about the differences. Because, I uh, look, it's obvious they have differences. But just putting them on camera together would be funny. For sure. I guess I'm astounded by the continual bowl of cold crow meat that I have to eat every time I go get in the Mar- in the Maserati because I really like Maserati. I mean, not all of them, but I love Maserati you now. Are, you are enjoying it. And, and I've, you- I've hated on Maserati for so long, and, and I have, people have pointed out, in past, past podcasts, people have come past the mm-hmm. statement I've made very definitively, well, those are great for other people to own, and here I am owning one and driving it, and I like it. You know what's funny, specifically uh, about your Maserati, but it's happened a little bit with both cars, but sp- uh, very much with your Maserati. We get comments on YouTube where it's like, you bought the wrong one. You should have bought that. And they list this a year right. that is twice as expensive as what we spent. And they're like, why didn't you get that one? And I'm like, because it was twice as exactly. much. Exactly. Because I, I got one for ten nine. We were trying to buy one for ten grand. The one you're recommending is twenty to twenty five. Why didn't I buy it? Because of a budget. Because we couldn't afford it. Yeah. It's it's the people that write to us and go, I have thirty grand and the car we want to sell them is sixty. We know that's insane. You're not gonna find sixty grand. I right. I do love it. People are like, right. Why didn't you get this one with the well, because it's twice it as expensive. If you if you more. have one of those for ten grand, guess what? That one would be a money pit. <laughs> Exactly. Meanwhile, you'll start it up with a cr- crazy rattle, and I'll shift it and hold my breath. Yeah. Once I get past that and nothing shatters, yeah. we're good. Maserati. <laughs> we think. 
Thanks, guys, for all your questions. Looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>